Hello, and welcome to the Literati Cast. I'm Jennifer Loughran, and I'm a senior agent at the Andrea Brown Literary Agency, where I rep kids' books from baby books through YA. I realize that there's certain things I always talk about in the outro, but not in the intro. So I wanted to do a special intro thanks to everyone who's a patron of the Literati Cast on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash literaticat. <laughs> because thanks to the patrons, first of all, I'm able to keep doing this podcast without going painfully out of pocket. But also, because of these donations, I'm able to pay a transcriber so that each episode of the podcast will now have a transcript available for those who want or need it. I'm personally way too lazy to type all these podcasts out, so I'm very glad this is somebody else's job. The first eight episodes are currently available as transcripts, with more forthcoming soon. If you want to access those transcripts, you simply go to the podcast section of my personal website, that's jenniferloughran.com, to the show notes for the episode you want to download, and press the blue button. It should be pretty seamless, but let me know if you have any problems with that. Anyway, on with the show. Today, we're going to be talking about the magical world of board books. My guest is executive editor of the Abrams Appleseed imprint, Meredith Mundy. She creates books for eight children ages zero through five. Let me see if I can get Meredith on the line. Hi, Meredith. Hello, how are you? I'm great. So let's get right into this because I have a lot of questions for you. Okay. Can you give us the nutshell version of your career path? Like what led you, what led you into kids publishing? Oh, sure. Um, this is actually amazing timing that you're interviewing me now. It has been exactly 25 years this month that I've been working in publishing. Wow. I know. I can't believe it either. <laughs> uh, so how did I get into publishing? Um, I come from a family of librarians and artists. My mom was a left reference librarian. My dad was an artist and high school art teacher. So I came by my love of books and art, very honestly. Um, and then I had a spectacular sixth grade teacher, Mrs. Joanne Myers of Colorado Springs, Colorado. And she set up shadowing days for all of the kids in her class. And I wanted to talk to the people that make the books. And so she found me an editor in Colorado Springs. And I spent the entire day with that guy and was fascinated by what he did. And ever since I've wanted to be an editor. Amazing. Yeah. So there so, you have it. <laughs> so you're at um, Abrams Appleseed. That's your I imprint. I am. I am. I did not start there, however. Um, when I graduated from Smith College in 1994, I was running around New York City in my sweaty blue interview suit um, trying to find a job. And I had several informational interviews with people and got very lucky. I talked to Emma Dryden, who had just left uh, Random House Children's Books, and she said that her boss needed an assistant. And so I got so lucky and got that job. Um, and from there, I went to uh, Dutton Children's Books, had an amazing 11 years there with an incredible team of mentors, and then went to Sterling Children's Books for 13 years. And I've been at Abrams for a year. Nice. And Emma has been a guest on this podcast. So oh, fabulous. I have not heard never... that, but I will. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Appleseed is for what I'd call the little kid books, like board books, novelty books, and some younger picture books, right? Exactly. Exactly. Appleseed's audience is pretty specific and limited. It's just zero to five, but there is a surprising range of books to work on for that age group, which is what makes it so much fun. Um, I've always loved and appreciated books for the littlest readers and pre-readers uh, because I really believe that those books start the foundation of a love for reading. And there are a bunch of re recent studies that talk about how board books are even more important than we thought in preparing kids to be readers. So the more exposure to books, no matter what kind, um, 
really makes a difference in a child's life. And the better chances are that that kid will grow up to be someone who loves to read. Yay. Yay. I recently saw a Nielsen survey or something that indicated that board book sales are quite robust at the moment. And just anecdotally, I work at uh, the bookstore on weekends. I'd say that that's very true. We sell a ton of board books. Um, How, from your perspective, how does the market look? Is it growing, stagnant, or what? It's definitely growing. Yeah, we're finding a lot of support for our board books, uh, both the novelty kind and the regular kind that don't have any bells and whistles. Um, So I think there is a really great market right now for board books and picture books too. You know, I still see a lot of growth in that area as well. It's amazing. When I started as an agent 10 years ago, now more than 10 years ago at this point, um, everyone said picture books are dead. Yes. Yes. I remember those days. (laughs) And I, I mean, I sell more picture books than anything else. Yeah. And I'm not even a strictly picture book person. So anyway. Absolutely. So in terms of baby books, board books, I feel like they fall into four buckets. So there's the shrunken version of regular picture books. So like All the World or Goodnight Moon has the regular picture book version and then the chunky small board book version. Um, That probably has a fair number of words. It might have sophisticated art depending on the book. Then the second bucket is concept books, which are like often part of a series that are created by a publisher, like there'll be ABC baby and one, two, three baby and up down baby or whatever. (laughs) And like the pretty books or the DK books, which all have the same branding. Um, So those are minimal words, bright and simple artwork. Then the third bucket are books that are kind of spinoffs of beloved picture book characters, like concept books or storybooks featuring little curious George or Pete the cat or ladybug girl or what have you. And then there are original board books that were only ever meant to be board books. Would you say that that's accurate? I would. Yeah. Those are pretty much the categories that uh, that you see out there. Yep. Good. I'm glad that I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> so the first three buckets, your picture book reissues, your concept books and character spinoffs are pretty self-explanatory. But what percentage of the books you publish are those kind of books versus original board books? I'd say we probably aim for like 50-50. We do a lot of concept books, like you talked about the ABC Baby, One, Two, Three Baby, um, and only select picture books are really right for board. You know, I do see some picture books being turned into board books that don't feel like they were an organic choice, that maybe the picture book had done really well, and so a board book version was made, but there's so many words, and the art is maybe very, very sophisticated for the age group, that sort of thing. So we're really careful in what picture books we turn into board books. And um, I'm constantly trying to do more original board books, despite the financial challenges of that, um, which I'm sure you'll ask me about as well. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It is really tricky to make a board book. People have no idea. Um, I would say we try to do about 50-50 in terms of picture books that we turn into board book versions, editions, uh, versus the concept books and the... um, original books that that maybe are not concept oriented. How does a book stand out in this market? Oh, it's a good question because there are so many, you know, go, go into a store and how do you decide between all of them? Um, but I think really it's a, it's just like when you're seeking a great picture book, it's originality, it's cleverness. Um, for board books, often a seasonal hook can help. If you've got a book that's about love that can be sold really heavily at Valentine's Day, but also year round, that's always a great thing. Or a book with a winter theme that could be sold for a holiday and beyond. Um, that sort of thing can certainly help. But I think really it comes down to cleverness and originality. 
Um, and, and for me, that's what I'm always looking for. We get hundreds and hundreds of submissions. And the main reason that I reject something is because it's too ordinary or too generic or too similar to something that's already out there. And that's a tricky thing to find something different because there is so much out there, but it can be done and it's done every day. Well, it's walking a line too, because there are definitely topics that are evergreen. Yes. That there can never be too many of. Like, what are some of those topics? Dinosaurs, (laughs) trucks, for sure, animals. I mean, there are lots of topics that kids are always going to gravitate toward. And again, it's trying to find, like, how do you do that originally? Um, You know, and same with concept books. There are a thousand books about opposites, for example. But my predecessor at Appleseed found a little series of books that was being done in France. And this one was called Hip Opposites. So it's Mm. hippos with opposites. Nice. (laughs) So it just, it just works so beautifully. We've just one done called, uh, done one called Llama Phone. So it's homophones with llamas. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So there are lots of different ways to do concepts that are done over and over and over again. And um, you just have to seek for you know, seek out the right project. Are there any kinds of baby books? And this is going to be perhaps a hot topic. Any kinds of baby books that you're sick of? <laughs> Let's see. Well, I'm never a big fan of board books that seem like they were really created for adults and not mm-hmm. for kids. Like there are a lot of those out there. And you know, some of them are really well done and you can see how they would be appreciated by a very young child on one level and by an older child or an adult on another level. So those I totally appreciate. But the ones that are really just for adults, I kind of wonder why they're out there and there are so many. Um, yep. and I think too, just generic concepts, you know, like doing really dull concepts over and over and not finding a new way to pre- present them. Amen. Um, so when you're acquiring a an original board book. Are you thinking about just that book or are you thinking about the possibilities of a whole publishing program? Like, does it have serious potential? Um, let's see. It can go both ways. Sometimes something is just perfect as a one-off. You know, this is the, the little gem of a book that needs to be out there. And often I will ask an author when I get a submission, what else do you have in mind for this, for this book? Could there be books two, three, four, and five? Because of course that would be best for everyone if you can continue a series. Um, And often an author will say, actually, yes, here are four more ideas. And some of them are even stronger than the first one. And you end up with a book, starting with one of the books they hadn't intended to start start with. Um, So that's fun when that happens. But I think I evaluate each book on its own merit. And then if it seems like it could become a series, that is a wonderful thing. Are the board book original submissions you see, generally speaking, author-led or illustrator-led? In other words, is it like picture book where you buy a text and then find the illustrator or more typically do they come as a package or the illustrator doing most everything? Well, it works best financially if we've got an author-illustrator who's the same person. Um, And also sometimes that just works best because they are so simple and, and most of the work is being done by an illustrator. So if you've got someone who's both the author and the illustrator, that is a beautiful thing. Um, but often we do get in just authored texts that we then have to match up with an illustrator. Um, can be tricky because then I'm paying two advances against a $7.99 retail price, which means that earning out that advance takes a long time. And financially, that makes it really tricky. Well, we're going to get into that in a minute. <laughs> uh, when you're thinking about novelty books, so novelty books, 
for the uninitiated are like board books often, but they have something extra. They either are lift the flap or they have furry elements or they have a kaleidoscope inside or they have pull tabs or something like that. Um, so when you're thinking about novelty books in particular, what do you like to see? In other words, would a description of a novelty element suffice, or do you need to see a dummy with the novelty element in action, so to speak? I think it's always better to see something in action, even if it's very simple. Um, if it's a lift the flap, you can just describe the flap to me. But if you're doing some cool wheel to turn that makes this turn into that, um, it might be something that I would need to see. And, and also, although I have a really good visual imagination from having done this for so many years, when I, when I take it to someone else and, and try to explain it to them, it's so good to have a visual. So I would say having something, a, a rough sketch or a little handmade dummy is absolutely fine. Uh, a lot of the novelty stuff we get are from packagers or from um, co-edition partners in other countries. And so they put together like a giant print run with France and Italy and Spain and the US in order to make the costs a lot more effective. So that way you can have touch surfaces and tabs to pull and all of that stuff for a lot less money. It's all spread out among many publishers. Um, so I would say it's pretty rare for me to get a submission from just an author saying, Hey, I want to do this book with crazy kaleidoscopes inside. <laughs> um, it's unlikely that would happen, but once in a while it does. And a great idea can be fleshed out. Even if it does start as just a text with a description. I like, um, touch surfaces instead of furry parts that is what i said <laughs> a little more technical on you there <laughs> um what would you say equals success with a board book or novelty book oh let's see i think a good review is always a huge thing you know board books do not get reviewed as much as picture books and older books do um but when you get a great review boy can it make a difference um, since there aren't as many. And also just getting feedback from librarians and caregivers and, and kids on social media who send in pictures of, you know, a book being interacted with at a school or in, in a library, whatever it is. That is such a great measure of success and spreading popularity of a book. Um, and of course, we want to see reprints. So as soon as a book starts to reprint, we think, oh, we've really got something here. And um, that's exciting. Three of my books that I've acquired in the past year have now um, gone into their third reprintings. So feeling good about that. It's very exciting when that happens. Congratulations. Thanks. So I think based on what we've said already, you would say that original board books are a bit riskier in terms of acquisitions than picture books. So maybe we can unpack some of the challenges when dealing with board novelty books. I know they're expensive to produce and are typically sold at a lower price point. So what does that mean for making the budget work? Uh, let's see. So we're always quite conservative when starting out with, um, you know, a, a number of a print run. We, we want to print the right number. We don't want to have a ton of books left in the warehouse. That always spells disaster. So I, th I think we're quite careful when we go out printing. Um, and then we are able to reprint pretty nimbly. And so that allows us to maybe start with a smaller quantity and work up to a larger quantity. Uh, so the challenges are really paper costs and production uh, production costs. So paper has gone up in the last year or two or three a lot. We're really seeing an increase there. Um, so that means 
you know, a board book looks small and manageable, but when you think about it, the thickness of a board page is actually several thicknesses of a regular picture book page. So they're all put together. The stock is much thicker and therefore the thicker the paper, the more expensive it is. And also the more bell, bells and whistles you add, if you want foil on the cover, or if you want, uh, you know, like we were talking about touch surfaces, if you want a little fuzzy rabbit on the cover, those are incredibly expensive. So it's just sort of balancing what the book really needs. Like maybe it doesn't need all those bells and whistles and it works just beautifully as it is. Um, or maybe it really could catch more eyes if it had a little something on the front cover. So those are some of the challenges we weigh. Um, I think luckily authors and agents understand that it's not always possible to pay a huge advance for a five spread board book. And so we managed to work it out financially and, and a great book is born. Do you usually have to publish overseas? We print, I mean, print overseas. We print overseas. We we often reprint domestically if something catches fire and we have to very quickly reprint. We often will do that. We'll move the book from an overseas printer to a domestic printer, you know, in Canada or Mexico or the US. Um, but most books that are full color are published in China. The Chinese printers are so incredibly good and they work with so many different publishers. You know, they just work on such a giant scale that they're completely versed in every possible thing you could want to do with a book, uh, which is really exciting. You know, I had a book recently that was uh, four tiny board books stuck on a board, you know, with the case cover that comes down on top of it. And then you can flip up the different pages and sort of mix and match the various options and I didn't know how to do that. So uh, <laughs> I really put myself in the hands of the, the production department and the printers. And they came up with so many great solutions as to how to solve that physical problem. Like, how do you make this work and make the books lie flat? And all of those tricky things that, you know, an editor doesn't necessarily know how to do right off the bat, having never done one. So, you know, every new book is like a brand new problem to solve and challenge to meet. It's, it's a, a wonderful part of the job. I did an event with Matthew Van Fleet. Once, oh yeah. And sure. um, he was talking about how he like has gone to Malaysia or wherever the printer is and like been hands on mm -hmm. in the process. And it looks so cool. Like he was showing pictures of how they do the whirly gigs and stuff like that. It was oh, amazing. Yeah. It is amazing. They're so skilled and so um, adept at, how to do all of these very technical, interesting things. And there's a lot of handwork involved, um, which is the expense. You know, you're going to pay more for something that takes someone 10 minutes to put together rather than a sheet that's just fed over a, a press that goes through at a million miles an hour. You know, it's, it's a very different situation. So I know that something that goes on with young books and toys is safety testing. How and when does that come into play or does it? Um, absolutely. So safety testing is super important, especially for zero to three um, and zero to five as well. All of the books are tested. Um, we are completely compliant with the Children's Product Safety Improvement Act. That's the CPSIA. We talk about that a lot and make sure that all of the components are tested um, and are completely up to standard. So yeah, that is super duper important. And that's not a step you can skip. So what, what does that mean? Is that like, do they have a machine that bites the books or something like that? I think they do. I mean, I have read safety test reports from the labs and they are pretty fascinating. You know, they go into uh, really detailed things. I have worked with, on books in the past uh, where I've been told the corners are too sharp, so they have to be rounded a certain way or... Um, 
you know, if something presents any sort of choking hazard, that is absolutely um, tested and made sure that that cannot happen. Right. Yeah. Um, I've got some listener questions. Okay. So a listener asks, as children are immersed in the world's cartoons and animation from birth, are traditional non-digital and non-stylized illustration samples still welcomed, such as realistic drawing, watercolor, painting, cut and sculpted paper? Um, I think there is a huge range um, in children's art right now. It's, it's a really exciting time to be an illustrator, I think, because there is more and more desire for something different in a book. I work very closely with my art director, Hana Nakamura, and she and I are constantly like combing through web pages and opening up envelopes of postcards that illustrators and agents have sent to us. And I would say, yeah, the full range is wanted and needed. Um, I don't think one style is, is going to carry the day. And times change too. You look at a book from the 80s and wow, does it look dated? Mm-hmm. So, you know, <laughs> we, <laughs> we definitely want to keep things fresh and interesting. And, um, you know, I think Hana does an amazing job of that. And, um, yeah, it's a joy to work with her and to see how her mind works and what she's drawn to. Another listener asks, what do you read when you're not reading baby books? <laughs> I read all the time, as you can imagine. For one thing, I read um, a ton at work for other editors. So we all get together once a week for an editorial meeting. And so I'm reading YA novels and middle grade novels and picture books um, every single week for all of the other editors. And then we all comment on each other's submissions and, and give advice and, and um, support and, oh, I don't think you should do this one or whatever it is. You know, there's, <laughs> there's a lot of collaboration that happens. So I'm delighted that we are all part of that together in one room. Um, and then I'm in two book clubs. So I'm in one at work and we're reading Wuthering Heights right now. And I just finished reading um, A Gentleman in Moscow on my summer vacation in Canada and absolutely loved it. So if you're someone who loves fiction, I would so recommend that book. Nice. Um, can we circle back for one second to the uh, editorial meetings? So you have yeah. editorial meetings once a week. You all share work with one another. And this meeting is just you and the editors, right? Uh, yes, the publisher is there, the associate publisher is there, and all the editors. Yep. And then let's say you decide, okay, I love this book. Um, everybody loves it. It's a green light to go to acquisitions. So then is the acquisitions meeting have other people like who's in the acquisitions meeting? Yes. The acquisitions meeting is much bigger and um, a little more intimidating. At that point, we have worked out some of the financials. We have really thought about what the format's going to be, what the audience is, um, sort of a formal proposal is drawn up. And then you present it. Each editor presents their own books to this group. This group is composed of the publishers, both adult and children's, which is really interesting because then I'm also hearing about all the adult projects, which can often turn into a children's project. If a certain adult uh, author also has a children's book in mind, then we're all right there to hear about it um, and vice versa sometimes. So in that meeting, we've got marketing, we've got sales, we have our CEO, and like I said, the publishers, all the editors, and um, usually someone from subrights is there and someone from design is there. So we've got a, a big gaggle of interested folks hearing about all of these projects. I'm fascinated. <laughs> um, okay. Now it is time for self-promotion corner. It's currently August, 2019. As we record this, August has just begun. Do you have any new or very soon forthcoming titles we should definitely keep our eyes peeled for? 
Ah, sure. Let's see. So one that's come out fairly recently is Marvel Alpha Block. So we have a series of books, the Block series, Abrams Block books. And these were conceived actually by one of my very first bosses in publishing, Christopher Franceschelli, who now runs a company called Smart Inc. And he came up with these block books as um, as a format and presented them to Abrams years ago. And so now it's one of our best-selling formats. And my very first book when I got on the job was to develop Marvel Alpha Block. So it's all of the Marvel characters from A to Z. A is for Ant-Man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> B is for, let's see, there's a lot of B characters. Black Widow is in there. We've got a lot of them. So that has been really fun to see, um, you know, dovetail with the movies and that sort of thing. So that one you should definitely check out. And then the new book just coming out is Farm Block. So it's all about life at the farm around the, uh, around the seasons of the year. And we have a brand new book from Roby Harris. I've loved working with her on um, this book called Look. And it's one of those board books that you might read and say, this is incredibly simple. How did this even uh, you know, come to be? But she has pondered every single word in this book to be perfect for like, kids who love to hear repetition, um, you know, the sounds that kids like to hear, and the art is really, really lovely. So that one is one to look for. Um, also a homegrown series that started before I got here, but I've continued it with Hana. It's called Baby Loves. It's one of the ones that's in its third printing. And Hana and I went and did a, a photo shoot with nine babies and a puppy. Um, <laughs> it was so crazy. It was last July. It was in the hottest part of the summer. We were in this little photo studio with a wonderful photographer and a baby wrangler and <laughs> nine babies and a puppy. So it, it all worked out beautifully. It's called Baby Loves, and it will be, um, be out for Valentine's Day. Nice. Um, and finally, I ask all my guests, what are you currently obsessed with? It does not have to be bookish, but it can be. I will go first so you can think about your obsession. So at the moment, I'm obsessed with Veronica Mars. So I watched this show when it came out originally. And as you might recall, 10... 12 years ago, when Veronica Mars was still fairly new, everyone would always say in their comps, in their queries, my book is like Veronica Mars meets da-da-da. <laughs> like everybody <laughs> was obsessed with Veronica Mars. I was obsessed with Veronica Mars. I was always, I love Veronica Mars. And then I never watched it again for 15 years or however long. Um, and I will say, though I watched this originally, I was much younger then. There's a new season now, and I'm re-watching from the beginning for the first time. It's all on Hulu. Um, and as I recalled, the first season is magnificent. But I just slogged through the second season. Not oh, as good. Yeah. And now I'm on the third season, which is even less good. But now I just have to see what happens. The whole thing is actually an exercise in frustration because I can objectively see that the storytelling has gone off the rails, but I still love the characters. Oh, yeah. Except Logan, who... As I recall, when I was young, was amazing, bad boy, and I loved him. And now everything I know about myself is a lie because Logan (laughs) is a racist, sexist jerk. Oh, no. He's terrible. What was I thinking? I don't know. So it's not actually a happy obsession this time, but 
it is what it is. So Meredith, what are you obsessed with? Oh, that's so funny. I, I am also obsessed with a TV show um, that came out several years ago. And people were telling me, you have to see this show. You're going to love it. It's Shit's Creek. And I always yes. thought, like seeing the, the previews and everything, it just looked so mean. And the people looked so unappealing. And I just kept <laughs> avoiding it. And I thought, it's going to be so cringeworthy. I'm just not going to like that show. And I decided to give it a shot. And I am obsessed with those characters. I mean, I think what I love the most is how incredibly well-drawn their character arcs are. You know, I'm, I'm a storyteller, I'm an editor, so I'm constantly looking at things like that, you know, structure and story arc, character development, and this has it all. Um, so I think I'm in the end of the third season and still loving it just as much as the first episode. I have to say, same I did not watch this for the longest time because I didn't like the title. Oh, I was me like, oh, neither. Ew. Pretty gross. <laughs> <laughs> um, I had no idea what it was even about, but I just hated it on for no reason. And then I love it. And it, I feel like it gets better and better. The third season is much better than the first season. Like I think that everybody just gets so much deeper and I'm in love with all of them. Absolutely. And they're not just making fun of these characters, which would have been an easy thing to do. You know, they really are seeing things from their point of view and watching them transform is fascinating. And it's really got cool. a lot of heart. It does. That's so much heart. Yay. All right. I'm going to go watch some Shit's Creek now. <laughs> and I should go watch some Veronica Mars, evidently. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for joining me, Meredith. Oh, thank you so much for having me. What a pleasure. Thanks so much to my guest, Meredith Mundy. And thanks to all of you for listening. If you'd like more info about any of the books we discussed, you can find it on the show notes page on my website. That's jenniferlofren.com slash literaticast. If you'd like to donate to the Patreon, you can do so at patreon.com slash literaticat. And if you like the show and are inspired to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, that helps more people find the show. Thanks for listening and see you next time.